This episode is brought to you by Berkland Associates. Okay, so your company is growing fast. Stuff's moving a thousand miles a minute. It's exciting, but all that speed without the right systems in place can hurt you at scale. Enter Berkland Associates. Fractional CFOs, bookkeepers, tax and people ops experts, Berkland helps you build the right systems that can keep up with your growth and can handle all the finance, accounting, tax, and hiring services that consumer startups need to scale. From ensuring your fundamentals are sound to making sure you're prepared for the next funding round, Berkland Associates gets consumer startups. For more information, head to berklandassociates.com and you can check out their toolkits for startups as well. Link is in the show notes. Today's episode is also brought to you by Skillful. Skillful runs online immersive programs that helps launch and accelerate careers in business roles in tech. Join one of Skillful's upcoming cohorts to learn what you need to know and from who you need to know. Skillful recently released their core sprint for January. Their core sprint is great for business generalists, anyone looking to get into biz ops and build their SQL and problem solving skills. They also have two additional sprints that will be dropping soon. Their strategic finance sprint for finance professionals looking to learn how to level up their experience for a strategic finance role and their product strategy sprint for professionals who currently work cross-functionally with a product team or if you want to understand how product strategy and business strategy intersect. No prior product experience is required. So early bird applications for their core sprint, that's the one geared towards business generalists, are now open. Use the exclusive code Early bird 2021 if you apply before December 1st. Head to joinskillful.com. Also, it's located in the show notes before December 1st for access to an exclusive early bird pricing. Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com, to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. To keep with tradition from last year, during the holidays, we're releasing highlights from 2021 every day during Hanukkah and during the 12 days of Christmas. Today, I'm excited to release highlights from my conversation with Alex Fine, who is the founder of Dame Products. Dame is the home of phenomenally fun toys for adults that helps people to upgrade their self-care and toys for sex. Please enjoy my conversation with Alex. What attracted you to entrepreneurship and sex therapy? I think, you know, a curiosity, like this determinism. There's just certain things about my personality that I feel like really, that was like almost the same fire within me that attracted me to both of these things. Like, I'm very curious. I want to know answers. I want to see if I can do it. And, you know, (laughs) I think for both categories, you know, talking about sex and doing things on my own and creating something on my own, like there was some similarities there. But just to take them one at a time, sex therapy, I was really driven to the conversation around sex and sex therapy from actually a, a pretty early age. One of my favorite stories to tell is when I was six, my aunt brought me to a party that had um, drag queens and some transgender 
gender folk. And I was super amazed. And I was six and got to ask him all of these the questions that any a lot of people have, but you can ask them so authentically when you're young without any judgment. Like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? What, what does that mean? And I got all these wonderful answers. I also learned how to strut my stuff and how to walk the catwalk and actually like embody femininity in a really like cool way. And I went back to first grade show and tell and I explained to my class the difference between being a drag queen. And actually at the time I had learned the word transsexual and this caused issues in that, you know, called the principal office. They called my parents. My parents were upset with my aunt. And this whole time that I was essentially getting in trouble, nobody was able to tell me why. I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. I didn't lie. All I did was talk about truth. And in fact, it felt like a really important conversation to me. Like my mind had been blown. That curiosity, those whys, why can't I do this? Why can't we talk about this with no good answers is just unleash something in me where I just wanted to talk about gender identity and relationships and sex. And I often wasn't met with great answers and just a a hush, don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. And that just didn't work for me. I was like, why, 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 why? So I think that that kind of put me on the path towards really being interested in sexuality, sexual identity, gender identity. And, um, you know, I just have always felt like interpersonal relationships and sex are one of the most important parts of the human experience, yet we do so little to educate, to understand, to train ourselves, to be good at them. And I was just wanted to bring value to the world in that space. And then lastly, sexism, right? Like I kissed a boy, my first kiss, that boy got high fives and I got dirty looks. And I was like, wait, what I just did was just as cool as what he did. I'm positive. Like we just did the same thing, you know, like what's going on here? Why am I being treated differently? Why am I being made to feel badly about exploring my pleasure and my curiosity when something I just did felt really good for me? So that all of that kind of led me down that path and that interest. And I just, I love talking about it. And then I think entrepreneurialism was really similar. Like I just want to be me. I want to make an impact in the world. I want to have conversations. I just... you don't want to break shit and remake it. And I think that that is kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. It's like, I can do it differently. I can do that. And yeah, so I was really attracted to it. My family was very encouraging of it. My dad in particular, which I think is really, really special. And I was also lucky enough to work at a three-person consumer goods startup and see how people do it. So that's kind of what led me to entrepreneurialism. So what was the insight that led to founding Dame? The biggest insight I had that led me to start Dame was that... 80% of my community was using a vibrator. I also knew from from my research that over 70 to some research even says 80% of people with vulvas experience orgasms exclusively from clitoral stimulation. Yet, so there was like those things I knew, yet the products were being marketed like they were illegal, like they were being marketed like they were not mainstream and embarrassing. Like, shh, don't tell anybody you just bought this powerful vibrator. 
And also almost all of the products were internal products really designed for internal stimulation over external stimulation. So you had this, I knew that there was a misalignment in product fit and a misalignment in, in how we were marketing and talking about these products. That convinced me that I could do something in this category that was different. I could make products that were better and connect to consumers in a deeper way. So how did you start creating vibrators? So I had a bunch of product ideas and one of them that I thought was particularly unique ended up being the first product that we launched. It's called Eva. It's a hands-free clitoral vibrator that's worn in between the labia on top of the clitoris and you can wear it hands-free. So you can wear it during intercourse or penetrative P in the V or dildo in the V sex. And I knew that that was like a very, there was another insight there, which is I knew a bunch of people that were buying clitoral vibrating like cock rings for clitoral stimulation, they weren't getting it from the product. So I was like, oh, this is a really great product concept. I wonder if I can make it work. The first thing I did was I took a half dollar coin, I wrapped it in some cellophane and I might be a little TMI, but I put it in between my labia. It stayed in place and you know, it does not work the way the product works, but it was just enough of validation of product concept validation to get me to take the next step, which was I started taking other vibrators. I was taking them apart. I went to an art supply store. I bought multiple plastic and I started molding shapes around pancake motors that I would literally just pull out of other vibrators. And I was able to make by hand vibrators that essentially worked mostly like and looked like the end product. And I had friends come over and try out my handmade vibrators to see if they stayed in place. And I have really amazing friends. It was also the beginning of like community and realizing how important community was going to be to develop these products products to understand what people are really looking for and to to make it right because we're all shaped differently. We all experience pleasure differently. So that's how I started making them. Eventually, I took like some 3D printing classes. I joined a makerspace. I learned how to solder. And then I was lucky enough to meet my co-founder. And then even though I had spent like literally five months learning how to do all of this, in like one week, she made the product better than I. <laughs> I was able to make it by, you know, doing it on my own. So like I both pat myself on the back for learning all of that and also know that experts are better at it than me. When you were having your friends test the product, was there any hesitancy to sample or were they quite open? I'd say, you know, my group of friends were, you know, varying degrees of how of how comfortable they felt. I had some friends who were willing to show me how the product was fitting. Like, you know, if, look, if you're making anything, watching people interact with the product so you can understand, oh, are they pressing this button correctly? You know, can they figure out how to use it without instructions? Like watching people interact with it and getting that data from firsthand experience is obviously the best data. I had a lot of friends who were totally willing to do that. I had some friends who took the product home and just explained what was working and what wasn't working. And now most of the way we do our research is kind of through that ladder. So I'll send you a prototype with a big questionnaire and you'll try the prototype out. You'll answer a ton of questions. You'll think, oh, testing a vibrator, how fun. And then on question number like 50, you're like, I'm never doing this again, probably. (laughs) But yeah, it is super fun. We're always looking for more people to try and you can sign up on our website to be a tester. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So when did you realize, hey, this could actually be a real business or there's some traction here that maybe I should, you know, think about? I know you talked about learning about soldering, but would love to just learn more about that kind of process of when you really thought this is something that I could quit my job and really begin. Yeah. So I think there was like a few different aha moments for me. I did research on other companies and other like-minded products. Um, and I remember discovering that there was another company out there that was also doing couples focused vibrators and that they had in, I think, six or seven years, got up to $35, $40 million in revenue. I was able to just through basic Google searches, learn a little bit about some of the revenue figures that other brands were pulling in. And that was like, okay, this is a business, right? Like there are companies in this category that make hundreds of thousands of dollars annually. So that was definitely like, oh, this is is a real market, which I also knew because over half of the women in the US have used a vibrator. So like, obviously they're buying them from somewhere. And that was also kind of going back to like that validation of it. We act like this isn't mainstream, but the majority of people use these toys. So, you know, there was that. I would say another aha moment was like the first time I tried it during partnered sex and and it worked. I remember it working very well and me, (laughs) you know, climaxing and thinking I'm going to be rich. Like this is going to be amazing. It was definitely one of my best sexual experiences. (laughs) And it was really funny. And I remember my now husband got a real kick out of it, but really like, I, I think when we launched our Indiegogo campaign, the, the actual distraction we got was, I mean, I cried. You think you're going to sell well, right? That's why you're doing it. But then you like set goals that you also think are reasonable. And then to have people like real people who don't know you show up and, and say, I think this product concept is so smart. And I trust these people who are trying to sell it so much that I'm going to give you money before you've made it so you can go and make it. And we had six over 6,000 people show up to do that. We raised over $575,000. And, you know, my <laughs> our Indiegogo goal was 50K. My personal goal was like 150K. Like I knew I wanted to do more. And then to do 575, I mean, I literally just like, I had a few nights where I just sat there and cried. Was there maybe like a minimum that you needed to hit on Indiegogo for you to really consider it? So yeah, I mean, we knew that at 50K we were going, to be honest, we had put money down for tooling. We were going for it. We were pretty committed to this concept beforehand and also just timing wise in order to try and like, you know, do it. I was convinced that, you know, based on my research of the market and, you know, the team that, you know, was just me and my co-founder at that time, like we could do it. Very confident, a very confident 26 year old. And I I knew that though, if we didn't hit 50K, there might be some like backtracking, like it would be really hard for us to actually make the product. In fact, you know, we really felt like we needed 150K or I think it was like 105K actually to just like make the amounts that we wanted to make, which was 5,000 units. But I was also confident too, that if we could just get enough traction, we could find money elsewhere. Like there would be people, it's like shadow testing, you know, people would see, oh, there's like a real demand here. And then we ended up doing so well that we decided not, we didn't need any money. So that was good, bad, you know, lots of decisions that maybe I would have done a little differently. 
How did you approach marketing too? Because I'd imagine you couldn't market on Facebook and I'd love to just your approach just to marketing online. We've taken many approaches and we have been shut down many a times. That's actually not as true. You know, we definitely have to have additional conversations often, but we've done a range of things. So our main way that we market it is through press, through word of mouth, through organic content. I do really believe that that is always going to be the most powerful. Like your ads will work better if your organic content is good. So we're always trying to improve our organic content. And I think creating press stories is, is key. Our success of our Indiegogo campaign was so had so much to do with press and getting BuzzFeed and Refinery29 to write articles about us. And yes, that was our original strategy. A lot of people don't like to talk about sex, but they love to talk about sex. So we use that to our advantage. And then we did try a lot of funky things. So for a long time, I advertised on Facebook using my personal brand. So I I would say I'm Alexander Fine. I'm running advertisements for me as the entrepreneur and like check out this article in the New York Times about me or like thank you to the New York Times for writing an article about me. Think W Magazine, whatever article it was. And that was effective for a long time. You know, I told Facebook like, look, this advertisement's promoting me. And it was, it was, it was promoting me. And then, you know, you would go and you would read this New York Times article. And then if you still wanted to, you would go to my website and, and purchase. And it was also, yes, an effective flow for me also to get people to learn about my brand and potentially buy a vibrator. But I still, to this day, don't think I was promoting vibrators. I think I was promoting myself. Eventually, Facebook decided, after agreeing with me for several months, Facebook then decided to change their policy. And they said that the articles I was pushing people to, the articles talked about vibrators and they were no longer compliant with their advertising policy and they started shutting it down. And then, you know, it really hurt because I felt like, okay, you're shutting me down. Like you're shutting down my voice as an entrepreneur and what I'm trying to do. And like, you know, secondly, I'm so sure about what I'm doing is good. Like I really do. Like I believe that to my core, obviously. Like, and for you to like not take my millions of dollars, but to take money from other people, who were promoting like false truths. I'm saying only, again, this is just like me being six. Like I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not saying anything not truthful. I'm not doing anything lewd. I'm not showing, you know, I'm not encouraging an unhealthy amount of sex in any way. Yet like, you know, you're, you're shutting me down, yet you're letting people do things that are clearly a lot more harmful and advertise false statements. Obviously, I think Facebook is trying really hard to clean up their act and it's confusing and I respect how challenging it is, but that is my truth and my story about Facebook. So that sucked. That's one way we marketed for a while. And then, you know, right now we rely on press. We rely a lot on doing education and content. We work with podcasts and partnerships. And then lastly, kind of alongside partnerships are our retail partners. I sell to Goop, I sell to Free People, Urban Outfitters, I sell in Nordstrom's. So Nordstrom's recently took in our brand and we sold out in a week. 
And that's great. Great for the brand, great for our sales. But also we get press around that. You know, we get press that we were featured in Nordstrom's. And some people find out about that press and still just come to my website. So it's marketing, it's advertisement, and it's sales at the same time. Also, because of the category, it's validating. Like... When Goop or Nordstrom's says, hey, like these are wellness brands, we're going to carry them. So wellness is product is good for you. There's so many people who like, you know, hearing Gwyneth Paltrow say it makes them feel like, oh, wow, it's, it's just validating. So and lastly, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but we like to make, you know, lemonade out of our lemons. So we worked with the MTA for about six months preparing advertisements that they approved. Those advertisements were things like 95% of men get to where they're going while only 30% of women do. You know, stats again. And eventually the MTA decided they were like, oh, we would never work with a sexually oriented business. Meanwhile, they are not only running ads for erectile dysfunction medication and other sexual medifications, they're also running ads for breast enhancements. They're running advertisements that feature people, you know, in bed talking about threesomes. Like, I don't have a problem with any of these things, but why me? Why are you, you know, drawing the line here? And eventually, you know, we worked really hard. We tried to get some press out of being rejected. We sorted it. And then I realized, oh, the MTA is a government function. We can actually sue them. Unlike Facebook, that's a private business. The MTA actually, they have to be clear and consistent in their guidelines. And they weren't being. So we are currently in litigation with the MTA. We definitely got pressed out of that. It's like just marketing what's not working too. And that for some people has really resonated. So my final question for you is what's the best piece of advice that you've received? There's been so many good pieces of advice that I've received. You know, I do feel like the best piece of advice has probably been about staying true to yourself. You know, like you can't find the answers from anybody else except for you. Like I feel like people have told me like talk to a lot of people, but don't expect somebody to give you the answer. You know, like I always like, I love to give advice. So founders call me, you know, like I will be in the phone with you and I'll start telling you how to run your business. But like, I mean, like listen to me, but You filter it. You know your business. You know what you want to do. And if you're not sure, sit down and do nothing until you're sure. I think what's hard is when people give advice, it's hard to know what to accept for yourself and what maybe you shouldn't accept, right? That maybe it works for them, but it might not work for you and your system. And it's always a balancing act, right? And it's always hard to know what's great advice for you, knowing that the person's trying to do the right thing, right? Ultimately, they're trying to always trying to be in a place of doing the right thing, but it's always challenging to know, all right, that works for them, but that might not actually not work for me or that works for them. And that might actually work for me right? Yeah. Alex, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but I love talking. So this is fantastic for me as well. So thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alex. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.